Hello, everyone. This is The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining me today, it is, of course, Gregor Robertson and, pleased to say, Matt Dickinson. May the fourth be with you, everyone. Do we have Star Wars fans amongst us, Matt? Uh, I remember the original, my excitement. What, was that 1977? God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> I think I remember just the absolute, basically, if you hadn't seen it, then, you know, you were a laughing stock and had to get there and see it straight away. The first one... <gasps> Absolutely loved. Second one loved, and then it all went downhill after that, oh, didn't it? Yeah, not as great. I don't know if I should be asking how old you were, Matt. But then, how old were you when you saw Star Wars? Uh, well, that's see, was it seventy-seven? That that would have put me nine. Would I have got in at nine? Um, but uh, I just I, I I remember the massive massive buzz around it. Um, but I. Th- Yes, yeah, so I think is that, I mean, I'm going to do a quick Google now and check if I'm getting my <laughs> my dates and things completely. Uh, 1977. Yeah, I've got go. it right there. there. You knew what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I don't know if I snuck in on its immediate release, but it was. It was. I don't know. Maybe films could be your yeah, could be a cultural phenomenon then in a way that now with so so much access to. Netflix and a zillion different things that they're, they're, well, certainly not at the moment, but not just generally either. You don't get that must-see, and it feels like the whole world's going to spot. Mm, Indeed. I mean, Gregor, 1977, I wasn't even uh, a bubble in a spirit level uh, at that uh, that point, and I don't think you were either. But Star Wars, is your cup of tea? No, sorry. (laughs) I can't, I've nothing to offer to this whatsoever. No. Well, what you can offer us is perhaps a margarita or two. Still doing your cocktails? Yeah, I even uh, branched out and made an old-fashioned at the weekend. Oh, very yeah. good. Do you know what I made this weekend for the first time? A pavlova from scratch. Oof. I know. It it, do you know, it was really good. So I did <laughs> a huge meringue. I even whipped the cream. I did everything. It was really good. Plus, I made a pina colada. So that was quite nice. So I've had a very productive weekend. Um, do you know what? Coming up, we're going to discuss the latest on Project Restart and also the fallout from Thursday's unpopular football opinions drama from Jonathan Northcroft in particular. All that to come after this. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, there's bad news for Manchester City fans this week. Kevin De Bruyne has admitted he will consider his future if the club's two-year European ban is upheld. City have been banned from all UEFA competitions for the next two seasons for serious breaches of financial fair play, but have appealed against the punishment to the Court for Arbitration for Sport. 
De Bruyne's current contract runs until June 2023, and here's what he had to say about his future at the club. Two years without Champions League football would be long. One year is something I might be able to cope with. It's a challenge to be the best here and to win. That's something I need to keep on going in my career. Whatever will come will come. So, Matt, when you hear what De Bruyne has been saying, should Manchester City fans be worried? Um, well, you know, I'd be worried if it was top of their worried list at the at the moment compared to, uh, in the greater scheme of things. But yeah, I mean, it's look, he's he is a phenomenal player up there with the very best midfield players in the world at the moment. A joy to watch uh, exactly why you do want to go and watch football. And, um, you know, so, yes, they should be concerned. I, I think there's a heck of a lot of complications about this. Obviously, the ban itself um, is is still mired in all kinds of appeals and legalities and complications. That's doubly complicated by not none of us knowing when a season's going to finish, end, restart, etc. Um, it's also the fact that, you know, he's clearly um, a, you know, 100 and something million footballer. And obviously the transfer market could be unrecognisable like much of life when we eventually emerge from this. So, yeah, to say to say it's um, impossible to, 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 to predict where this goes from here is, yeah, it's stating the obvious really. But at the same time, he said it. Uh, I don't blame him for, well, certainly don't blame him for thinking it because... Mm. Um, a two-year ban would be a heck of a long time to miss out on Europe if you're a player at at his peak as he is. Gregor, Matt doesn't blame De Bruyne for thinking about an exit from Manchester City if that European ban is upheld. Do you, do you agree with that? No, I mean, uh, again, like, like Matt says, you've got to kind of park a hell of a lot of stuff before you even uh, enter in this conversation. But if you park all of that, he's 29. Um, and as Matt says, he's one of the finest players in the world at the moment, um, and he's a winner. You know, I was just thinking back to that um, City's win at, against Real Madrid at the, at the Bernabeu in February, and God, those were happy days, weren't they? Um, <laughs> but he was outstanding. I remember in the first half how he was berating Benjamin Mendy just for the odd sloppy little pass. Uh, so he's got that, he's, as well as all the sublime talent, you know, he's got that real drive about him, and... and you know, I, I, he would want to. He want to achieve these things. He's good enough to to do. It. He's good enough to play in in most teams in the, in world world football. I would suggest. And but the, then, you know, again, parking all the what the landscape's going to be like. There's no real outstanding. It's hard to know where he would go. Actually, mm. there's no real outstanding European force. It's Liverpool, really, and they're although they're out of the competition this season. Um, so it really is. It's hard to envisage where he would go and. Um, and as again, as Matt said, there's kind of he's probably at one of the the clubs where it's safest, the kind of best bet of of uh, getting your your wages arriving every month at the moment. So that might be more important in the coming year. Obviously, there will be some Manchester City fans who will have seen those quotes and, and won't be happy. Uh, it's a bit naive of De Bruyne to think this wouldn't cause a bit of a stir, Matt. Well, a bit like Harry Kane, sort of, you know, one sentence here or there, you know, muttering about his future. And obviously that, you know, became a sort of similar debate about, you know, should you be saying that sort of thing at this time? I mean, I don't, you know, there's no rule about players sort of, if they're asked a question, 
um, answering it with the, the degree of honesty. You know, I don't suppose he's sort of thinking that's meant to trample on the you know the rest of the world's cares and concern, you know, genuine con- cares and concerns about coronavirus. But it's yeah, I, I, equally, I, I'm sure if you're the club, you're wincing and thinking, look, we you know we need this like a hole in the head at the moment. So. Um, I, you know, I, I, I suspect the club and him would just hope that they can sort of move on. But equally, knowing that that's the reality, you know, that's you know, I, I suspect they they can't be shocked that he's thinking it and saying it. They can't be shocked that this could become a real issue if they're not don't have success with an appeal. And you know, that's that is what you know this predicament. That's the situation this predicament has put them in. That it threatens the you know the short medium term of of Pep Guardiola and this multi-talented squad the quotes have come from an interview with a newspaper back in his his native Belgium from a footballer player perspective Gregor does he owe City anything when you think about the injury problems that he's had of late and the fact that they may well go into a, a season if not two seasons of no European football does he owe them anything some loyalty um, in ordinary circumstances, the answer to that would be no. I mean, there's no loyalty in football. Uh, footballers go where either they're going to get paid the most money. Uh, well, that's usually the first reason. And then behind that is the chance of winning silverware. So he's certainly at a club where he's he's close to be getting the, the most, most kind of, among the most highly paid players in the world, really. And so the next bit is to try and win the Champions League. So I don't think he has, there's any loyalty. I think in the circumstance like this, um, it's impossible to know how how that how kind of the next twelve months is going to unfurl. So, if football is really badly disrupted, then as Matt says, I think transfers are going to be certainly transfers of this scale and value are going to be a, th- a thing of the past, really. Um, so, in that in that sense, I don't think I don't think it'll really be an issue. I don't think he'll have have the, the decision to make. Well, in terms of the squad things perhaps aren't getting any better for Manchester City when you consider Pep Guardiola's current deal is due to expire in June 2021. So when we reflect on the actual management of Manchester City, this could also be another precarious position that Manchester City find themselves in. He did say in November that he was open to the possibility of extending De Bruyne and his decision in that interview that he's just had with that Belgian newspaper that his decision won't be based on whether or not Guardiola stays or goes at City. But this, of course, might not be the case for all other players at the club. Do you think, Matt, that City really could lose Guardiola next summer? Um, I think it's you know all of this is is a possibility. I mean, I, you know, I suspect that you know there are thousands, millions of people all wondering where the hell they're going to be working um, in you know months and um, the next. 12, 18 months and the land, as I say, sort of trying to predict the landscape, trying to work out, a, you know, manager like Guardiola wants to be where the strength is and the strength obviously lies in the money in football a lot of the time. So, you know, he will be trying to work out yeah, just which, which clubs are robust. I suspect City financially, obviously at least, are going to be more robust than most. So I think, you know, if he was going to leave Either, you know, we've seen he's left through fatigue before and needed a sabbatical. You can't rule that out. Um, but, yeah, the idea of, of him just sort of leaving with, you know, with a specific club in mind, the, there aren't really many left at all in the world that you would think, you know, that's that's 
an obvious move uh, or an upgrade in terms of sort of wealth and clout. Um, he's certainly not going to go to Real Madrid, is he? So, um, yeah, whether he could go back to Barcelona, but, you know, who knows what financial situation they're going to be in in, in a year's time. The Crystal Palace chairman, Steve Parrish, has thrown his weight behind the Premier League's project restart in the Sunday Times this weekend. He addresses the key moral issue of whether football should be reintroduced ahead of the curve in society or only return once all other key industries and, more importantly, services have recovered from the coronavirus pandemic. Parrish's stance on this is clear. He wants football back soon and explains why. This is what he said. In my view, a story here and a conversation there about the game last night will not trivialise loss or suffering, but offer a tiny respite from it for many people. Football is meaningless, but it is magnificently meaningless. It has the power to lighten lives. Why not see if we can use that power again? I've seen all the proposals for training and travel, and while there are challenges, those proposals offer a level of protection to players, staff and officials that I believe will render Premier League football one of the safest places in society to coexist, much safer than a journey to the supermarket at present. So that's what Parrish had to say. He wants football back ASAP and believes it can provide a safe environment for players to play in. Matt, do you you think we can do that? Oh, this is <laughs> yeah, yeah, a big I, question. I got, yeah, and it's very hard just to say a straight yes or a straight no. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I think, you know, first thing, I, I think ultimately that yeah, that they have the right to explore as hard as they can to be pushing, you know, all the different uh, ways back how it can work. It would be mad for them not to, you know, despite wider concerns, because that's this is a business like any other that's desperate to thrive it's got you know thousands of jobs depend on it uh, never mind that you know the the passion um that we all feel for it so yes as a business it's right to look back i i think it's a really fine balance um and i think you know public you know perceptions will be split on this you know anytime i post a story say on social media about the possible return inevitably some of the responses sort of you know i remember seeing one last week of you know if I can't see my grandchildren, the last thing I want to watch, you know, watch is football in the sense that, you know, let's what, what's the greater priority? And I I understand that that instinct. At the same time, there'll be many people who will be thinking I'm I'm bored to tears at home and would love the distraction that football can provide. So there's a very finely you know, nuanced um, PR perceptions in this. There is, you know, the fact that some players, um, you know, are entitled, even if they're given lots of assurances, to say that they're distinctly uncomfortable, maybe through personal family circumstances of a vulnerable relative. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's really hard just to sort of make, you know, one rule and say, yes, we're ready to go back. Yes, everyone should go back. I think even as, you know, plus, you know, we've seen over the last 24 hours, there's all kinds of self-interest kicking in between you know, bottom six clubs, you know, uh, oddly enough, thinking how can we all collectively avoid relegation um, and, and splits within the league, which are really sort of, you know, not at all edifying to see. So there's an awful lot of debates, I think, at the heart of it, as best it can, it's got to come down to, yeah, this idea of safety. And, you know, the fact is that players will be breaking rules in playing that you know the rest of us won't be able to you know if we're still required to mind our distance 
getting on trains or going to cafes, footballers will be jostling with each other, grappling with each other and breathing in each other's faces. Now, certain guarantees can be put around that, but I don't think they're... Or certain safeguards can be put around that, but I, I don't think guarantees can be. So it's, it is really, really delicate. I know, Gregor, we, we spoke previously on, on the pod uh, about players and how they felt, and, and you'd spoken to, to some who had said they hadn't been consulted. I don't know if you've spoken to any since that last conversation that we had, or if you want to just um, go back over what you'd spoken to players about in case anyone's just listening right now and, and how some players are feeling about this situation. Well, I think I think it has started to happen, but I think actually it's more through the, the PFA. Mm. I think... You know, this is the thing. There's a lot of lines being drawn everywhere by different stakeholders, and um, and when player, you know, if players feel they aren't being consulted, and there's this kind of huge logistical plan being being arranged, and they've not been consulted, and they're the people who are going over the the white line, then they're entitled to feel slightly concerned about that. I don't think that's changed much. I mean, as I, I think the PFA are speaking to players this week, and and then these conversations are going to be had on behalf of the players with the Premier League. I thought this was a I thought this was a really a really well written piece actually like it was measured and thoughtful and certain persuasive in bits too but it ultimately comes down to that intractable problem which is the the ninety minutes and there's no there's no getting beyond that uh, there's a couple of bits I was uneasy about really there was the first was he 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 made the point that the I think he used the analogy of Formula One. Um, Often being the precursor to developments that become gold standard in road vehicles, and then he went on to suggest essentially that the Premier League, with its resources and medical infrastructure and whatnot, can take a lead in defining sort of what the new normal will look like for us. And I think that's you know, massively kind of self-important. Well, I don't see how a foot professional football league, because there's lots of money, that's not their role. I mean. It, the, the places that have dealt best with with this virus, uh, somewhere like South Korea, where it's mass testing and and tracing and use of technology, football can't do that. Or the the thing that it it is missing out essentially is like we've seen the Cologne players who've been who've who've uh, tested positive this week, so they they're they're tested and they test positive. But the rest of the, pe- the players they've been in contact with aren't isolated. The, the football is essentially treating COVID nineteen as an injury, so I, I don't know how that will work out. But that's not mm. following best practice, and to suggest that you are poss- possibly a kind of vehicle for testing testing the water and how we could all be living is, I think, is wildly over overestimating things. And the second bit was again, uh, he, he talks about having to take the players with us. Um, and it, they haven't done that so far, uh, and ensuring that players' families are safe, and that's not possible. I mean, I, the more and more I think about it, I, you know, this week I've been thinking, I put myself as in the kind of player's shoes. If I was a footballer now, how would I feel being asked to go back and play football? And I honestly don't, I honestly don't know. Like, uh, you know, you go for a run. I went for a run this morning, and you have to plot the path ahead of you to try and avoid people in the street. Yeah. <laughs> you go to the supermarket. And you have to wait until somebody moves moves on before you go and pick up whatever it is you're you're getting. And other people are doing that around you. Everywhere, you know, this this has fundamentally altered the way that we interact with each other. And 
no matter what we do, when you step up the football step over the white line, that's all getting thrown to the wind. And I, I can't see how we get beyond that. I, I don't. I honestly think that the only way this is going to work. I mean, it's it's going to rise, stand or fall on what happens in the Bundesliga. That's the only positive for for the Premier League. We'll see how the Bundesliga works, and 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 they're they're the kind of guinea pigs for this. Um, but I, I'll be honest, I'm not confident that it's going to happen. I agree with you know it was it was a sensible sort of measured um, piece, but actually the the trouble was it came from a club that was sort of you know. Um, in the middle, and actually, while this was, it it was meant to sound like the sort of the voice of, you know, a, a representative. But actually, at the same time, there's loads of clubs unhappy with this, unhappy with that, pushing for this, pushing for that. So that's that's the other thing. I mean, I think, uh, you know, absolutely, football has a right to or entitled to think about, you know, personal safety and of their themselves and their relatives. And there are, you know, huge issues around testing and how how it works. But I, I think people will be tolerant of that. I, I think fans will get pretty um, sick and tired of of football and football clubs if they are seen to be bickering about other stuff. You know, I don't think whether it's played at neutral grounds, for example, is a good enough reason to, you know, if it can go back. I don't think fans will be very impressed if. If that is sort of used as a sort of you know boycott tool, put it that way. Mm. Well, of course, one of the main criticisms thrown at the Premier League is that it only wants football back to start generating revenue again, rather than for the good of the nation and for the competition. Parish also addresses this issue. He says, "Yes, it is partly about the money, and we should all care about the money." I'll tell you why. Nobody wins if the Premier League receives less money. Nobody. We are already facing losses no one can quantify, and if we don't finish the season, we are entering uncharted waters. Football is one of the most efficient tax-generating industries in Britain. We pay the players a lot, but 50% go straight back into the public purse. Overall, we pay about 3.3 billion pounds in tax every year. And it is the Premier League that largely funds the whole football pyramid. It's obvious that Premier League execs will want football back for financial reasons. But Gregor, have we considered actually that the revenue it can generate will only be good for the economy as well? Yeah, I mean, he's right. And Matt alluded to this. It's kind of every industry has to find a way of getting back to work. It has to try at least. It has to try or else if everyone just kind of waits around until, (laughs) until a vaccine is found or until we're found... A better way of treating this, or some something else that I don't know. Um, then you know, the economy is going to be in a whole world of pain, even more, uh, even more so. So, I'm not I'm not one of the, one of these people who think that this is obscene or or disrespectful to to look to at how mm. this 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 might be able to work. Ha- these people have to do this. It's their job now, really. Um, and the money is important. And I mean, although <laughs> they, we're in a kind of a whole new whole new world in terms of the way the economy operates now and that you know the government are essentially paying millions of people's wages that they weren't beforehand so and and there's no kind of they're writing checks that we'd never thought imaginable so I, I wouldn't go too far into into the thinking that you know the Premier League's chunk of of uh, money that goes towards the exchequer is is going to be what what decides this or not um, and I also think he was stretching a little bit when he's saying that the Premier League largely funds the whole whole pyramid. I mean, money does trickle down, but not enough, and that's one of the, that's one big issue that should be thought about in 
during this time, I think. Um, but yeah, look, it's true. It was the same when there was the argument about footballers facing wage cuts. Because if you face a wage cut, then less they pay less money in tax. So um, that's a genuine point. There's a lot of money that football contributes to the economy. But Matt, when there is some financial gain to make out of this, is it right then that Premier League executives are the ones that are deciding when football returns? Well, we've seen in France, um, it was taken away from them. Obviously, the government made that uh, decision to scrap um, the league uh, and no football till September. And I certainly think government, you know, top end of government, they've got to be uh, heavily involved in this. I mean, it could work, you know, the way, a, a different way in the sense of if if the government are willing to endorse it in in principle, then that's going to put a lot of pressure on clubs that are, yeah, dragging their heels now and maybe looking for reasons to, you know, uh, scrap relegation and use it to their own ends. It could put a lot of pressure on them just to to accept that the game is coming back. So it's I, there is, as far as I understand, there's um, yeah going to be meetings um, about that this week um, that will will sort of push that that position on but obviously it has to be in consultation certainly the the safety and health side of it has to be in consultation with politicians and I think that football sort of got to come up with its own plans but they've got to be approved uh, by government too the train is now approaching junction at platform passengers airport please stay on board next stop road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, on Thursday's podcast, we had a game of unpopular football opinions to celebrate National Honesty Day. It caused quite a stir, this one. Gregor, your unpopular opinion was that the Championship is a more exciting league to watch than the Premier League. I mean, I obviously would agree with you, but this has been lambasted by your colleagues at the Times for not being <laughs> unpopular enough. How do you plead? Do you plead guilty or not guilty to the charge? I mean, not guilty. I think colleagues are stretching it too. It's one. It's Tom <gasps> Clark. Tom oh. Clark, who uh, is probably sitting at home in his Lincoln hat right now. Kind of, he's a huge uh, football league fan, so he's going to back me up on that. And as are you. But there are plenty of people who would disagree. Um, I'd be interesting to hear what what Dicko thinks of that. Well, um, as a man who has to, um, I say has to, who does watch QPR, but it feels like it has to sometimes. Um, uh, season ticket holder, they are. I'm, I'm 
You, uh, yeah, you're, you're not unpopular enough because I'm going to vouch for uh, unabat you up as well. It's um, Damn it. it is. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 complete madcap league, isn't it? It's the you know the the, the imbalance of it is mad. Um, there's so much turbulence and unpredictability about it. So I'm um, I'm with you. I love I love watching the championship, even even at QPR. I was going to say, even though it's QPR that you're watching. <laughs> Just while we have you on this subject then, Gregor, did you want to put another option forward? I'll go with another one. I'm going to double down on uh, on one of the, along, the, along the same sort of theme as Johnny Northcroft. Make, make us <gasps> even less popular. Oh, my England, England oh. has not produced a great football manager since Bobby Robson. I don't. I can't think of a, a great oh. English football manager in that time, and and really, obviously, there's never been an English manager to win the Premier League. Uh, if you look at the if you if you look at the the Premier League table now, um, Frank Lampard's a rookie and he was lucky to get the Chelsea job basically, and he's really the only, Chris Wilder is a boat from the blue, but. Really, the Premier League. Most English managers in the Premier League nowadays compete in the bottom. They compete for relegation. Oh. Obviously, that's interesting, Gregor. And but the problem is, there'll be a lot of managers that may be listening right now and going, "That's because we don't get our chance." That may be true, and there's some some truth in the fact that the Premier League's become a you know a global a global product. But at the same time, I still I think really the silverware figures back up, and if managers. We 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 think that football is a kind of meritocracy, and I don't see. I think, I think uh, management can be the same. I think if if you can, you can take the step up, and so, even someone like Eddie Howe, I think he's had he's had uh, he's had ample opportunities to to take a bigger club. I would suggest. I think there's probably been interest, and in, you know, it's hard it's hard for English managers to to make that step into the very elite. But I think also um, there's not a great pool of choice. Well, Matt, what do you have to say to that? Do you think that's an unpopular or actually is that true? Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm sort I, of coming I, round to it. It might be unwelcome, but I don't think it can be called unpopular. I think no. sadly, it's, <laughs> sadly, it's, um, it's yeah, it's it's all too true. I mean, there you know, there's some promise out there. Um, but yeah, if you're talking, you know, great or even really, really good, um, yeah, <laughs> The, the evidence the evidence isn't uh, isn't great for English managers. That's 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 a fact. I mean, Bobby Robson was uh, even Bobby Robson you could um, say was definitely underappreciated for for much of his career, especially especially when we um, and that feels even more sort of sad when we consider you know that it's it's been a tough tough to find a axe to follow him. You see, Gregor. You know what you've done there? You've picked opinion that is popular and Tom Clark will just be like, well, that's not good enough again, Gregor. Yeah, OK, oh. I'm not very good at this, am I? <laughs> well, do you know what? Should we get to Jonathan Northcroft's opinion, which we heard on Thursday? Um, I didn't even know what to say. I was so shocked and so un- I didn't expect what he was to come out with. that I, didn't, I, I literally said goodbye after it because I didn't know how to respond. Let's have a little <laughs> listen into uh, Jonathan's unpopular football opinion. England have massively overachieved as a football nation. Oh. Um, <laughs> 50 years of hurt, I don't get it. It should be 50 years of being pleased with themselves and thankful with <laughs> what they've won so far. Think about it. One, England have only ever done well in four tournaments, right? 
1966, they were at home and they got a decision from a linesman. 1996, Aww. they were at home, <laughs> let off the hook by Gary McAllister, missing a penalty in the group stages, fluked a penalty shootout against the Spanish. Um, you know, home advantage. 1970, I'll give England that great team, unlucky to come up against, um, you know, the brilliance of Brazil. And then they did well in Russia, which, you know, they got the most ludicrously easy draw ever. Squeaked past Colombia in a, in, in, a, in a penalty shootout, you know, second best when they played a decent team to Belgium. And, you know, England just aren't actually that good. And if you think <laughs> about the fact that there's, there's probably, what, never been an England English player who's been the best in the world, probably. Very few English players in the top I'm not saying this to criticise England. I'm just trying to say how you know how well England have actually done to to win what they've won. Um, very few England English players ever in the in the sort of FIFA top ten of, of of world's best players. Great club success, but mostly built on Scottish managers and foreign players. I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, and there was there was there was even research that came out this um, this week showing that England are actually statistically better than Germany at penalties at, at tournaments. So it's not even <laughs> as if there's been this curse of penalties. I just think, well done, England. You've won a tournament. That's probably more than you, you've, you've deserved and you should probably be pleased with that. Again, just hearing that back, I feel like my jaw has dropped to the floor. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Matt, you, you've now heard what I had to sit through. I felt ganged up on, I have to say, on Thursday with two Scotsmen on my case and, and this particular argument. But is Jonathan right or wrong? Well, I was going to say, spoken spoken like a true Scotsman, all of that was, obviously. Um, there, was, there was definitely some wishful thinking in there. No, I, I, he, he, he has a... Definitely, Jonathan has a case goes goes too far because I think you know you you have to include other tournaments. I mean, Euro two thousand and um, four. You know, we probably should have won it. Um, Rooney obviously gets gets injured, um, but we're basically England were in a position where they could so easily have been beating Portugal and 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 marching on to success in that tournament. Um, so I, you know, I think. I think the fact is we've underachieved in all sorts of ways. I think that that era of the infamous um, golden generation tag um, proved too much of a burden. But um, so there's that period where where we underachieved. I think there's periods where we've just been absolutely horrible. I think as a country, there are cultural problems of you know for some periods thinking we know best. Um, but you know, we brought we brought the game into the world. Um, you know, we know better than um, foreigners. There's been that kind of arrogance. There's been technical, horrible technical blind spots that have lasted for decades or two, where we've just been relying on physicality as our sort of defining feature. That that's left us behind. There's been, yeah, there's been all kinds of myopia through all, you know a lot of decades. But uh. I don't think that means that we should be incapable of winning a tournament. I don't think that means that we shouldn't aspire to win a tournament. And Gareth Southgate, with not by no means the best squad in Europe and certainly not the best squad in the world, showed that we can give it a good go and get close. Um, when you look at all the, some of the teams that have won tournaments uh, in the time that England haven't, you know, Denmark and Greece obviously spring to mind, then why shouldn't we? aspire to win the tournament and with a fair wind behind have a chance 
So, Gregor, you've had time to reflect not only on your own unpopular opinion, but also that of Jonathan's, which is, I must say, very unpopular. Uh, do you still think, where, where did you stand on what Jonathan had to say? Um, I'd never thought it was, I think he went, he went pretty far. Uh, there are there have been occasions <laughs> there have been occasions when you look at England's team on paper and think, crikey! I mean, there are not many countries have got got the talent that, uh, that the English team has at its disposal. Um, as I say, I think you know often it's the, the person in the dugout has been a big issue, and if you can't create a, <laughs> uh, produce great managers, then you've got no chance. <laughs> oh, it all comes back to your point. <laughs> all right then, um, Matt, do you want to give us your unpopular football opinion? Ooh, um, I can't go to VAR, can I? Because that's that's just that's 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 boring. Um, yeah. I did I, I did have a thought, which I suppose certainly won't be unpopular with you, Natalie. But judging on any piece that I sort of write, which gets into this territory, would is unpopular with a weirdly large amount of men. But I, my <laughs> unpopular opinion is to get more women into the men's game and to get them into coaching roles to get them into psychological roles i mean basically it's based on one absolute you know basic premise that i'll argue till i'm blue in the face is that any workplace i've ever been involved with is is better for gender balance and better for having different perspectives and better for having a female perspective and you know the game is you know there's sort of macho stereotypes and there's um macho cultures but wow let's you know does that mean they're better? Does that mean that actually, if say that different perspective, I, a lot of the time, you know, you find these all male cultures, and actually, you find how limiting they are. And I, I just think that you know, clever managers would think about that. Clever managers might think about, you know, just that changing the voice, but not because it's woke, not because it's, you know, to be seen to be doing the right thing, because it actually might, might, you know be the right thing it might change a different way of thinking different perspectives say and I'm talking psychologically as much as tactically or or anything else so I, I you know you meet meet someone like Emma Hayes the manager of the Chelsea women's mm. team and I, I swear you will learn more from her about football and about psychology and about player development uh, and mental development than I've learned from an awful awful lot of the men uh, coaches I've ever dealt with so there you go. I say not unpopular with you, but uh, believe me, <laughs> believe me, you only you only need to post. If I wrote that as a piece, uh, I, 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 you would only see, you would see from the responses just how unpopular that would be uh, among an awful lot of very defensive men out there. Yeah, I, I imagine that's a piece I wouldn't want to look in the comments section. That is for sure. Um, but Gregor, I mean, Matt makes a, a very valid point. You know. Gender balance is very important in society in general. Yeah, football's a very peculiar world, actually, to have kind of worked in your entire adult life in that regard. And um, I don't know, I, I think it probably would would do good for some uh, attitudes towards women as well, I would suggest, among among uh, a small section, but a section of, of professional footballers. So I absolutely agree with Matt, I think. Um I think that's definitely something that would that would benefit football and it would benefit players as well. 
So my unpopular opinion isn't a slight against a specific club, but I will use a club as an example. So Leeds fans, forgive me for focusing on you, but it isn't about you. It is about people that say a certain team fighting for promotion deserves to be in the Premier League because of their fan base and because of their history. To me, that is such nonsense because history has as much to do with why a club is where they are right now as it does for the once great experience they had. So yes, Leeds are doing really well in the championship right now and I would be very happy for them if they went up if and when the season restarts in the EFL. I used to live in Leeds so you know I have a lot of Leeds friends and and fans of the club but I don't think a club should ever deserve to be in the Premier League just based on their history and that is something that really gets on my nerves. I think that's a good shout there's a lot of teams and actually Nottingham Forest can slightly Mm. stray into that that territory although it's because it's been 20 years now um they i think it's probably starting to wane a little bit but because of the kind of the glories of the past and the ryan clough and whatnot there can be a bit of a um a sense of entitlement about some some sections of supporters so yes no and lead i think leads leads are probably the number one for that um in that they are a huge club in the championship but as you say no one has the right to be in top tier. Matt, is that unpopular or popular do you think, my opinion? Um, well, it's going to be unpopular somewhere, I know that <laughs> but it's, uh, I don't, that doesn't make you wrong, I mean, I, I agree it's a bit like the sort of, the old sort of you know, Newcastle fans we, you know, we're entitled to swashbuckling football or, you know any fan for that matter, it's, it's this sort of, you know okay, there might be some clubs that have a sort of vague association with a a type of of playing, but I, yeah, just that whole idea of entitlement ever is anathema to me. So yeah, entitled to <laughs> being the top flight, don't like it. Entitled to a certain type of football, don't like it. You know, it's it's about achieving it, it's about proving it, it's about doing yeah. it, isn't it? Absolutely. Are we, are we just all really sensible, or are these not unpopular opinions? I know. <laughs> I think we are just very sensible. I think that's okay. what it is. We must and be, I yeah. think I'm sure we've offended somebody along We're the way. On, definitely on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. But I do. I just want to stress once again. I do like Leeds, and I love the people of Leeds, and I love Leeds fans. It's just that conversation that even Leeds. It's not even Leeds fans that often say it. It's people that just love football in general. Will often say, "Well, it'll be good for the game if you get Leeds back in the Premier League." Well. Yeah, if they deserve to go up because they've won enough points to go up. That's how I see it. Anyway, let's move on. That is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to you, Matt, as well. You may find yourself with more time on your hands in the coming weeks. So do remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. All you have to do is search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Thursday for the very latest game podcast. In the meantime, stay safe. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.